Welcome to the ITAM Review Podcast, news, reviews and resources for ITAM, SAM and software licensing professionals. So hello everyone, welcome to this podcast from the ITAM Review. Um, I'm here today with um, some folks from uh, License Fortress uh, and Beeman Much More. Um, Let's get into some introductions. We're, we're going to be talking about Oracle, all things Oracle today, how they do business, um, uh, what that means for you, and even we are even going to get into the world, crazy world that is TikTok and Walmart and geopolitics and how Oracle get involved in all of that. So something to look forward to at the end of this. Um, but let's um, get into introductions. Uh, welcome, Michael. Hey, how you doing? Thank you for having me today. So uh, just quick introduction. I've been working Oracle since version three or over 36 years. I'm the original Oracle Press author, past president of International Oracle Users Groups, and Oracle Ace Today, uh, and so I've made my living around Oracle. Thanks, Mike. And, and Dean. Hi, hi, Dean. Hello, uh, AJ. Hello, everyone. My name is Dean Bolton, uh, co-founder and chief architect at uh, License Fortress. Uh, I've been working with Oracle for about 20 years now, uh, started on version 8i, um, Oracle Certified Professional, Oracle Certified Master, uh, VMware vExpert, Oracle Ace Associate, so uh, a lot of technical expertise on the Oracle side of things um, right alongside Mike. Great, thanks. Uh, we also have Art Beeman from Beeman Much More. Hi, Art. Hello, and great to be here. Thank you for the invite. I am one of the founding partners for uh, Beeman and Much More. I am a uh, trial lawyer for now nearly uh, 40 years and have uh, represented uh, uh, various technology companies in a myriad of disputes, uh, including uh, software, both in the patent space and copyright space. And most recently, along with Joel Muchmore and the founding of our firm earlier this year, we are dedicated to uh, software licensing disputes, in particular in the ERP space and are enjoying a splendid partnership with License Fortress and getting certain products to market to protect licensees. Uh, we're going to be talking about Mars v. Oracle, and along with Joel, uh, I was one of the lead lawyers on that case. Great to be here. Thank you. Thanks, Art. And, and, and hi, Joel, as well. Hi. Uh, hi. Thanks again for uh, having both Art and I and everybody else here. Uh, I have been a commercial litigator for about 20 years, uh, spent much of that time in the intellectual property space as well. About five years ago is when Art and I uh, litigated the Mars v. Oracle matter and uh, opened up a world to software licensing litigation and with Oracle as well. And uh, along with Art, as he said, we uh, founded Beeman Much More and uh, dedicate most of that time to software licensing. And you don't do legal issues in software licensing without having a Oracle at the forefront of a lot of it. <laughs> Absolutely great. It's, it's, it's really great to, to have you along, um, Art and Joel in particular, and, and, and Dean and Mike too as well. But um, I, you know, we have written about um, the Mars case. It is somewhat legendary in the world of IT asset management. I think you'll agree. It comes up all the time whenever you talk about um, uh, Oracle and just actually litigation in general between customers and partners. And, and, and this, this is what we're going to be getting onto today, actually, um, specifically around Oracle. So thank you for sharing your expertise. It's great to actually talk to people who are involved in that um, um, today. And I mean, I guess the thing we end up talking about Oracle quite a lot is that they are litigious. They, they'd like to take their customers to court or at least threaten to take their customers to court. And this seems to me, in the way of modern um, uh, technology relationships between customers and, 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 and software sellers, to be unusual. I mean, it's an adversarial, we, we see partnerships, we, we see Microsoft talking about partnering, we see AWS being a trusted partner for people's um, hardware and software, for example. What is it about Oracle um, that, that leads to this, do we think? Well, um, uh, I, I, it's a great question, and I don't think it uh, necessarily can be answered uh, uh, in uh, 
capsule form. But uh, that said, certainly you can start with the uh, persona of the founder, uh, Larry Ellison, who uh, from almost the start gained a reputation of being quite assertive, quite aggressive uh, in the market and not afraid to use the courts for purposes of gaining uh, market share. And you could see it in uh, certainly in Northern California, the more notorious uh, Oracle litigation matters. For instance, Oracle went after uh, SAP not so long ago in a copyright dispute uh, where uh, Larry Ellison, uh, uncharacteristic of many um, uh, CEOs, uh, was gleeful about testifying, couldn't wait to testify, loves to tell the story, uh, did as much, and they got a, the largest copyright verdict at the time, the largest copyright verdict uh, ever against SAP uh, in excess of a billion dollars. That is the kind of thing that will establish a, a reputation, no doubt. No. Um, but what uh, uh, Joel and I found in the, the Mars v. Oracle matter, and something to underscore here, um, is that we do have uh, a certain confidentiality obligations. Um, so uh, we intend, of course, to honor those confidentiality obligations in our commentary today will be restricted to uh, the public record. Uh, but Joel, um, that matter, um, as it turns out, we sued Oracle on behalf of Mars. Uh, and uh, once you share some of the thinking that went into our, if you will, launching the war instead of uh, waiting uh, for the war to come to us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, that, that'll be interesting. Uh, I, I, I think um, probably a question for Mike and Dean, really. Uh, it's, but it seems odd to me, Oracle pretty much invented relational databases, right? In, in terms of commercializing them, it's a great product. It's, it's a leading product. Um, it almost feels like why do they need to be so litigious if they've got a great product? So that's such a great comment. So let me take a line out of The Godfather. It's just business, right? I always liked them. It's just business. Every business decides business strategies. So when you look at Oracle, and I think it is a reflection of its founder, as Art said, right, and being aggressive. But when you look at Oracle, they're suffering from organic growth, right? They can only acquire so much to keep growing. Larry wants to be number one at no matter what it takes. Mm -hmm. And because of the laws being on their side, it's easy to go audit people to generate cash. And if you have a reputation of being super aggressive, everybody's just going to back down and say, you're right just pay the bill. And so to me, this is just business. It's not personal, it's business. And so people have to get in their head. The audit's not about compliance. It's about generating revenue. It's a sales arm. They may not call it a sales arm, but looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, <laughs> as a compensation model, rewarding revenue. It is a duck, it's about revenue. It's business. Yeah, okay, that's great. Uh, yeah, I, I, some. And, I, and, and because it's business and because it's about contracts, I guess your decision-making comes actually when, you, when you're buying Oracle up front, it isn't that the product's great because the product is great. You know that for, for a fact. Is it more a question of whether you want to do business with them? It, it, because it's business, do you want to do business on their terms? It, it, is, that, is that what you should be paying attention to? Well, I, 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 go ahead, Dean, please. Um, I was going to say, I, I think so, but what we've seen, AJ, is that um, the hard part is from some of the confusion that's, that's out there around what those actual terms are, right? Mm -hmm. And I think this is um, applicable to, to any scenario, right? If you went into a car dealership uh, and asked to buy a car and uh, they wouldn't tell you what the price is, it would be very difficult to continue um, doing business that way. Um, and unfortunately, due to some of the uh, business strategies and confusion out there, that's that's what happens in some of these software uh, license uh, engagements, and specifically around Oracle. What what we try to do, uh, and I think um, uh, Mike and I have been doing this for a long time on the technical side, is is we try to uh, help customers understand um, the value of the product. Uh, and then with our partnership with Beeman and much more, um, put ways in place to to control um, the actual cost and then let them make the decision because then, then it's fair, right? If you go in and you say, okay, I have this new project, it's going to cost me, you know, half a million dollars for the software licensing or half million pounds, half million euros, whatever it is, 
um, I can make a decision on whether I want to spend that money with that vendor. And that's really the whole point that we try to emphasize with customers and kind of the approach we've taken um, uh, for our product and going to market. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. Um, it's, um, yeah, but, but coming back to it though, it, it is upfront looking at those terms and conditions because they are, they are naturally vague, aren't they? Fundamentally vague in terms of, um, uh, what does all that mean? Incredibly complicated. Um, how do you make sense of that going, going, going into that? You know, do you need to have a legal team alongside much more than just a standard procurement process with Oracle? Do you think you, you need to approach it differently than you would do to, to, to another um, software vendor? See, I don't think it's that simple at all, because first of all, you may have bought a product that, and then Oracle acquired the company. So you may hmm. be in this relationship whether you want it or not. Um, mm -hmm. so really ultimately I think it's a different situation is they make great products. So if you can take the risk out of the audit through good business practices, well, what's good business practice, having a SAM tool, we would argue you should have licensed fortress because it's specific to Oracle, but at a minimum, you should have a good SAM tool and you should know your effective license position continuously. Because if you're making compliance issues and you wait six months or a year or three years or two when the audit happens to discover them, it's going to be a very costly mistake. So with good business practices, um, you can avoid a lot of this downside. And then you should have a good business partner that understands licensing. Too often you say to your DBAs, or your system admins, oh, you're license experts now. Mm -hmm. Well, do they realize that Oracle changes policies that they might, your business might be relying on? When they hear ULA, they hear unlimited. They think, oh, my God, it's like a bowl of M&Ms or chips. I can have all I want. They yeah. didn't hear, oh, by the way, our ULA is limited to these three products, and it's on the Northeast continent only. So to me, it's really about not expecting your technical team to be licensed experts, yeah. having licensed experts, having legal counsel that deals with Oracle on a regular basis, not expecting your in-house counsel to be specific around this, and more importantly, having good business practices so that you're aware of what you're consuming so there are no surprises at the end. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Having been a sysadmin, um, not for Oracle, um, yes, you were quite often expected. I was expected to be a, a licensing expert. Um, that wasn't what got me out of bed in the morning. That, that back then, I was interested in the technical side of things. What can this solution do for, for, our, for our employees? Um, and also, you don't really want to be having a techie guy um, making decisions that could potentially cost you millions of dollars. Um, it was a it was a nerve wracking and stressful time <laughs> sitting down trying to work out how, how to deploy IBM software in a way that was compliant with the license and, and minimised cost. I mean, that's kind of how I got my start in in IT asset management because I ended up learning so much about IBM licensing by by, by running by running this environment. So. Um, now, I, I, going back to this idea about terms being vague, one of the things that is often I've often wondered is why does because for example Mar, Mars v Oracle didn't get to a judgment, uh, as you guys know because you were there. Um, why did why do we not get to the point where we've defined these terms accurately um, via via a court case and art? Yeah, well, I, I think there's, there's basically two different answers to that. And the first is that the terms are constantly shifting. You call them vague, but they're also vague and voluminous. You have your master agreement. You have ordering documents. The ordering documents pull in terms and conditions. The terms and conditions pull in other. If you were to actually pull everything that controls, it would be a, a binder several inches thick of overlapping and conflicting information. And that doesn't even count the policies that Oracle puts up that are not binding, but they are binding if they are specifically incorporated into a contract, which some of Oracle's contracts do. And back to Michael's point on the EULA, some EULA specifically incorporate some of those. So even what the universe is, is not just indeterminate, it is ever expanding, I guess, kind of like our own universe. 
But then to go back to Mars versus Oracle, that dealt with, if you look at the public papers, a quarter century old at that time uh, licensing agreement, master agreement. There was several binders worth of uh, nesting ordering documents that came up to those. And yet all of it still turned on a single word that was this whole installed versus running. Again, if you look at the VMware aspect of it that is all over the, uh, the complaint that Mars filed. And uh, if you look at the public record, you will note that despite what we all know about Oracle being litigious, how quick they are to go into the courtroom, that matter dissipated. It went away before there were any uh, uh, actual filings on or any uh, uh, material judgments by the judge. There were some confidentiality and protective orders issued, but nothing material. And then overlay that on both our experience and as well as uh, Dean and Michael's experience that it has never come back up again. Nobody has taken anything to court against Oracle or Oracle against them. And we would postulate it's because they don't want a judgment. They don't want these individual terms of which there's just a small handful actually adjudicated by a court because if they were, then it would ripple throughout the legal sphere and people would know that uh, where the pressure points are, how they can stand up, and there would be authority there to uh, work from. Well, and let's pick up on that because we've, we've and I, I agree with everything that Joel just shared with us. Uh, uh, we, we talked about uh, or being litigious, but I don't think that's being fair to Oracle. Oracle is shrewdly litigious. They don't just run off to court and sue away like a patent troll, hoping to shake out some money for the cost of defense. Um, they know a good case uh, when they see it, and they took, uh, by way of example, uh, the case I referred to earlier, they took SAP to a jury verdict and then had it upheld on appeal. Uh, the point being that they, they, they knew they had a good case, and if they believe they have a good case, they'll run it to ground. Um, uh, in the instance of Mars v. Oracle and so many of the issues that our licensee customer uh, clients are, are dealing with, Oracle's smart. They sit back and they think, well, we have the reputation of being litigious. We can certainly take advantage of that. That way our adversaries will know that we won't hesitate to go there. But to Joel's point, uh, they are circumspect, circumspect about putting some of these terms and phrases into play because the risk is too great. If all of a sudden installed and or running is construed against them, their very licensing program uh, is at risk. They would have to revamp their strategies. Uh, their leverage point would dissipate. So their view is that, hey, look, uh, if we can't go and we don't like our odds of, uh, odds of winning, then we won't go right now. Uh, so they're very shrewd. They know what they're doing. And typically you have siloed licensee uh, customers bewildered to the points made by Mike Dean Angel about the volume uh, and, and, and ab abstractions of these, of these documents and what they mean. And it's kind of like, if you will, if someone if, if put a stack of documents in front of you before you were about to have major surgery. And they said, well, now look over all the terms here. And you know, this is the, you know, your life's on the line here. And now take a good look to see if we want to do this. <laughs> you have an overwhelming inclination to just sign the, the, the doggone thing. Okay. You just want to move on and you want to, you want in this instance to get your ERP installed because you know, it's a good product and you've got a business to run. So I think that can lead to certain sloppiness, if you will, on the part of a, a, a licensee uh, customer uh, if they're not careful about getting the appropriate technical advice, legal advice, and the context that they're going to need to deal with Oracle on a level playing field. Yeah, yeah, it's, the it's other, the, sorry, go. Yeah, I was just going to say the other thing I'd add into that, which I think just strengthens what he said was, customers need to understand the tr difference between a contractual obligation and Oracle policy. So in a typical Oracle contract, let's pick on virtualization. The word virtualization is nowhere in the contract. So you decide where you run your Oracle workloads. I could care less what the Oracle policy says, unless there's something in the policy that maybe the client can take advantage of, understanding that policies can be taken away just as quickly with the change. And there's the famous Oracle cloud policy, right? Larry Ellison made a statement. He'd make Oracle cloud cheaper than all other clouds. He created a policy where he created a hyper-threading penalty 
and doubled the price of public clouds. That policy went in effect overnight. And so really it comes back to understanding your contract versus what's policy and what's a contractual obligation. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's a, a prime example. I think that was January 2017 from memory, wasn't it? Something like that. It was, uh, it came along and it was just, Oh, okay. Suddenly your, your, your costs are doubled. Um, but that in itself suggests to me that um, when you're forming this contract up front, and equally, of course, you mentioned the situation where you're kind of, well, the, the, the software that you've been using has been acquired by Oracle. Um, we've seen some examples around Micros, for example, um, that, that I've mentioned previously around um, Micros being uh, hospitality um, um, our software primarily uh, being acquired by Oracle a few years ago and license terms have changed. Um, we see it with other vendors as well, with Microfocus, for example. Microfocus um, have acquired a whole bunch of um, uh, vendors over, over the years, Novell in particular, and including the Attachmates and so on. And suddenly you're dealing with a different company and a different culture. Um, and your what you thought you were getting out of that relationship it has changed. And it feels to me that it, it, this is almost like, this is almost thinking about the divorce bill before you get married. This is almost like um, you need to have a really good prenup here to make sure that you you can exit okay. And I think we're going to get it onto that in, in a bit more detail um, around exit strategy for Oracle. Um, because it feels to me that uh, if you if you because let's face it, people bet, bet their business on Oracle, right? That Oracle is fundamental. It's running their business. Um, you've got to make that. That's a difficult decision to make. Um, what does a rip and replace look like for removing Oracle and going to SQL Server or something else, for example? What's the total cost of ownership? Um, probably a question for, for Michael Dean around calculating TCO, because I, I know it's something that you guys look at um, at, at License Fortress. And... Yeah, so it, it, it's one of those things where um, I think people think it's a very easy thing, right? I have one, uh, I have a, a database, um, so... I'm not really, you know, making use of all these different features in the database. It should be very easy to, to rip and replace, right? Go to something open source, go to another vendor. Um, you know, that other vendor might have some uh, downstream issues as well. Microsoft is, is on the top of the list, just like Oracle for um, audit issues and compliance issues too. Um, but from the technical aspect, that's usually not the case, AJ. So um, what we see in general is if you want to replace an environment uh, on an Oracle database, um, you're looking at a seven-figure cost uh, in there and months of time in there. So it is not just flipping a switch. It's not just exporting. It is a very big project to do that because of the nature of where these databases are deployed, right? A lot of new um, new projects that um, are uh, kind of stateless and smaller aren't on Oracle anyway. Oracle gets um, the business critical applications in there um, because uh, some of the cost, but also because of um, the development that's been behind behind Oracle, right? It's got 40 years uh, of development behind it. It is um, probably right with SQL Server. Um, the two best RDBMSs out there for when you absolutely positively cannot have downtime or lose transactions. So it's, it's definitely not an easy thing. And that's just on the database side. When you get into ERP, um, because of all the different touch points that has integration has, you know, add another zero to that. You're looking at uh, easily eight figures in there. And for uh, large uh, companies, global 1000, fortune 500, it's probably higher than that. You're probably nine figures for any of those changes. And those are multi-year efforts. So um, I guess a lot of it just comes down to that change is easier said than done and has a hefty price tag associated with it. Yeah, I, I never mind the disruption to the business. Yeah, right? yeah, don't discount the disruption and the fact that when you put in a new system, it takes months before you gain back that productivity. Mm. Yeah, I, I certainly experienced that. We did a we had an enforced upgrade for Oracle Financials, um, and it took eighteen months to two years to do. And at the end of it, we got Oracle Financials. It wasn't much different. There was a few. It was a bit bit more modern. The interface looked much the same, uh, but that was a global effort for the organization I was working, working for at the time, coordinated across four continents. Um, massive amount of effort involved and 
all we, all we got at the end of it was more Oracle Financials. It would have been a bigger effort, of course, to rip that out and go to something else. And that immediately leads to being an, an unequal relationship. You're in this relationship where you're relying on them. There's nothing you can do, and they can really do what they like. Um, so, I, And I think, that, I think that's such an important point, too, uh, because inherent to this, and this kind of collects all the points made uh, by uh, Dean and Mike, too, about the uh, value of the product. It's a good product. Well, what's a corollary to that? It's a good product, and I really want it. The licensee customer really wants it. Well, inherent to that is an imbalance. And, you know, it's, 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 it's negotiations 101. If someone really wants something and you've got it, okay, uh, you've got inherently leverage points because they want your product. You know, how many, you know, if you want to draw an analogy to just about any other product, whether you're getting a new car or whatever it may be, you're the buyer and typically you feel as if you've got uh, the leverage because you've got the money. And if you don't buy that car, you can go get a car from someone else. Well, inherent to these transactions is not just the incredible importance of the technology to the business and the cost of a, a business interruption. It's just that the, the customer really wants the product. So the only way the, the, the playing field gets leveled, in my judgment, is through the documents and understanding the documents and going into the documents and knowing what you're signing off on and finding out if you can get better terms. Uh, what uh, what has blown us away at times in some of these cases that um, uh, we've litigated, and one in, in particular uh, against Oracle that I, I can't go any far farther than that. It's not the Mars case, but a uh, a matter that we had, and, and Joel and I would be sitting back almost every day and and look at the contract and look at the arguments from Oracle, and we just say, how do they get away with these contracts? Look at what these contracts say. You know, if we give you this product and it blows up your business. Never mind. You're not going to be able to collect anything in the way of consequential or incidental damages. Well, mm -hmm. some of these things can be negotiated. Uh, at least you should try because maybe there's some leverage to be gained there, but parties aren't doing it. They just want the product. They see all of the voluminous papers and they think, well, let's just get going. And I think it leads to some bad uh, business behavior, some, some sloppiness. I, I Joel, I'm, I want to uh, toss it to you. Do, you. do you agree with that assessment as to what we've seen? Well, I think that just as Dean and Mike have talked about how there's 20, 30, 40 years of them developing a database product, we have seen 20, 30, 40 years of them developing limitations of liability and uh, 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 disclaimers of warranties and termination provisions. You can almost look at their current contract and see how that evolution has gone for the last 10 to 15 years. If this doesn't play in California, there'll be another provision below it that says that here's the new limitation of liability. If that old one gets struck down and it goes to this almost decision tree that takes hours to read through and piece through, much less even attempt to litigate. So they have insulated themselves in that manner to an almost just uh, a, a, a grotesque degree to try to thin through them and hold them liable, which goes back to what you were mentioning, AJ, on the unequal relationship on the termination provision. They always build in the right to terminate an agreement based upon a breach. Breach is what they allege is a breach. And that becomes the underpinning of a lot of these license negotiations is cooperate with us or we're going to flick the switch on you and terminate your agreements and either shut the spigot off at the cloud or terminate your licenses and make you proceed as copyright infringers. And that is the ghost. That is the spectra that oversees every negotiation with Oracle and a lot of the newcomers you mentioned too, Microfocus, Attachmate, all of them, mm. as in you need to play ball because we hold all the cards and we will shut you down in 30 days if you don't play ball with us. And that's what happened in, with, to Mars when they filed their uh, litigation. Yeah, it, it, it feels like software is the only thing that does this. Um, I, I don't know whether you would agree. It, it's an unusual way of doing business. Um, it doesn't happen this way in the, in the physical world. You know, Ford can't come back and take your car off the drive, can they? Um, they, they need to go through several procedures before they do in order to get the legal right to trespass on your property. And that's where it inverts. Art had mentioned patent litigation before, which is such a fascinating corollary in that you can uh, carpet bomb a bunch of companies, say you infringe upon our patents. Then you got to go to a court. You got to get a court to agree with you and then issue an injunction. And then you have that leverage. Ha ha, I've got you. Like with uh, what, what happened with BlackBerry and the, and the billion dollar settlement so many years 
years ago. But it is inverted here and that they don't need to go to the court. They simply say it is our position and we can make this threat. And then they're forcing somebody else to go to court and then to stop them from doing what in a patent litigation matter, you would have to get court permission and a court order to do. Yeah. And when we go back to like microfocus and some of those entities, and this is, could be a whole nother podcast, they are now operating like trolls, we believe. There is money that is going in to purchase these entities that are now adopting these kinds of aggressive licensing tactics. And it's the same money that was going into patent litigation. I think we have software licensing trolls that are starting to come forward. And a lot of the money that was going into patents are now going into buying software license agreements and then enforcing them in that same kind of draconian carpet bombing fashion that we used to see with patent litigation. Yeah, that, that, that's interesting. I mean, we have noticed a few over the last year or so. I'm thinking of um, a GoToMeeting, for example, um, now private equity owned. Um, and in a way, also uh, Veritas sort of coming in and out and, and, and now back out again as, as an independent company. Um, yeah, so that's an interesting area. I, I, th I think something to, something to pay attention to and watch down the line. I'm just going to rewind slightly onto talking about uh, the complexity of the agreements and so on. Do you feel that general counsel in even in even in large firms just doesn't have the the uh, knowledge or, or the detailed knowledge of software license terms to be able to kind of do a good job on deciding whether a contract's good? I can I can remember sending contracts off for review before signing them uh, or, or having them signed, and the review was pretty quick. I mean, it was looking at things that they were used to, like commercial terms, not so much to do with the specifics of software licensing. Well, uh, if 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 I may, uh, and and this is in many ways uh, in responding, uh, giving you uh, at least one of the reasons that we uh, formed Beeman and much more uh, after Mars v Oracle uh, and the spate of of uh, communications, emails, phone calls we received from aggrieved licensees who finally saw a public filing. Uh, regarding these practices, and they sought our assistance in counseling, uh, we realized that you can't do this without a total immersion in the contracts, uh, not just the documents in front of you, but the history of, of the agreements, documents who, that may not even be part of the agreement, but can bear on uh, uh, the construction of the current agreement. Uh, and it, 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 the approach is the only approach. Uh, and we have found in many instances that uh, in order to provide the appropriate counseling, given how granular the issues may be uh, and, and how inextricably, inextricably linked they are to the technology, uh, that you just simply can't do it in the context of the general counsel. That would be like, all due respect, going to uh, a, a general practitioner doctor when you have a very specific heart ailment uh, or, or a, a problem with another organ where in their general practice, they just don't focus that much on that sort of malady. So uh, Beeman much more was very much formed as a response to that phenomenon where we realized that, look, the way to do this for customers uh, uh, and the uh, of uh, and customer licensees and and then ultimately our clients is to just be immersed in it to have the context to be able to tell a client we've seen this before and not just once before multiple times before and, mm -hmm. and let us tell you how it plays out and the reason that's so important here is because Oracle by way of example is not doing this in a pell-mell fashion all right their licensing program and how they approach these audits is the stuff of policy, strategy, and then executing on tactics. That needs to be met with the appropriate response. In other words, you don't, to uh, uh, borrow from uh, uh, the untouchables, you don't take a knife to a gunfight, okay? Uh, so if you're going to um, take a gun to the gunfight, you have to know the documents, you have to know what they're trying to do uh, in the way of governing this transaction as well as they do. So to, that's a very long-winded response to your question, but we emphatically believe that just a cursory, hey, here's another contract, we buy widgets one day and we buy software the next, it's all just the same. That's not how it works. Yep, 
yeah, I, I would agree. I, I, I know when I was doing the job, um, it is what are we signing? And yeah, okay, then there may be sort of 12 clauses to a contract. But of course, you don't know what's underpinning that. And also, you don't know the history, of course. Um, I think it's a problem of problem of, of information, which is always the case with, um, with, with legal arguments. Of course, as you say, with, with Mars, it was a 25-year-old um, initial agreement. Those things probably maybe legal don't even have access to that it's been because it would have been purchased by technology it's on a piece of paper in a filing cabinet somewhere it's not certainly not held electronically because we're going back to things that were signed in perhaps the late 80s um yeah yeah. so yeah i think um yeah i I think that's a key point it's probably an area that we should we should probably look at at the item review in a bit more detail is actually what else is out there in terms of um, legal support for um uh, f- uh, for doing these transactions, it's part and parcel of the role. Um, particularly as we as we uh, improve our seniority, I suppose, and, and go up, it's probably a question of talking to your legal counsel and saying, "Well, I think you probably need to talk to somebody else about this um, uh, to, to to really get to the bottom of uh, what this what this um, license agreement actually means." Yes, so we, we talked a lot about sort of history. I, I mean, there's plenty. There's always news with Oracle. I wanted to sort of touch on a few things that are current just to kind of close out today. Um, first up, um, something we at the ITAM Review have helped out with is the ongoing um, stock um, uh, fraud, I guess, um, case from Sunshine Firefighters. Um, so Sunshine Firefighters alleged uh, that Oracle have overstated their cloud revenue and they were using audits to drive cloud revenue. I was wondering, uh, what's the latest update on that? I know, Joel, you have some, something to share around that. Uh, Well, the latest update is uh, uh, even more emergent than I had thought. Um, There was a a motion to dismiss filed by Oracle back in October. It was filed previous to October, but the hearing was back when we were actually attending hearings in October. And I went to that hearing just to get the ambience, to get the vibe there. And it was a uh, inauspicious beginning when the judge thanked Oracle's representatives for coming to the courtroom. And if you back up a little bit, they've been accused of fraud and the judge is there with her job to do justice and thank them for coming to their hearing where they were being accused of fraud. Uh, Marching the way through that hearing, I don't know what to say other than the judge simply just said, eh, I I, I don't buy it. I just, that that, that doesn't sound right to me. That seems like no one would really do that. You're, You're taking these statements out of context. And the judge essentially dismissed the complaint with the option to refile, but uh, basically said, I don't see a path for you to clear this motion to dismiss stage if you're not actually getting testimony from licensees in the class period. And of course, the licensees are bound to not talk through confidentiality and non-disclosure agreements. So there's a, a tight little paradox there. They refiled, a whole rash of papers has gone back and forth, and this Wednesday is going to be the next hearing on the uh, revised motion to dismiss against the revised complaint. Uh, We have not seen anything in the way of a proposed order, but the one, again, inauspicious sign is that uh, the attorneys um, for Sunrise Firefighters said, uh, tried to get more pages, just saying this is a massive, massive issue. Can we have 10 more pages to brief it? And Oracle agreed. So there was a stipulation for more pages. And the judge looked at it and said, nah, you can't have any more pages. You've said enough so far. Now, that doesn't mean anything, but it's not a great sign that she's willing to dig into the details to the extent we think they need to be dug into. And those, those details are extraordinary. If you ever thought that it was just a few errant figures, the whistleblower allegations map out a longstanding pattern and practice of uh, even more integrated than we ever would have estimated as to how far up and how far down this plan goes. Yeah, it's, it's and, yeah. Called Sorry. audit. What is it, Joel? Uh, in the complaint, audit buy and close. That's right. Uh, and they, they, they even had that was their vernacular for LMS being the sales wing. Audit first, and then buy, and then get them to buy more software, and then close it out. That's been their plan for uh, two decades now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we've got extensive files on 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 that one, and we've spoken about it in a couple of articles over the last year or so. Uh, I'll put some links to those in the show notes um, for everyone listening. Um, and probably by the time you publish this, uh, we'll, we'll know even more so that there'll be a follow-up to that. Um, 
I was uh, a question really from from Mike and Dean um, that sprung to mind as well. We've seen a final, it seems a final judgment on the whole thing around the Jedi um, Department of, of Defense contract. Do you want to make any comments on that one? It looks like they're, they failed to kind of um, prove the the DFD of were um, uh, unfair in in their contracting. So you know what's funny? I I've, I try not to follow the, the Jedi thing because, frankly, I think it just bothers me that every time a vendor goes after something and they lose, they just take it to court mm-hmm. and spin everybody's cycles. Um. And to be honest, I wasn't displeased that Microsoft got the business. I thought that was a nice balance to AWS yeah. uh, in the scheme of things. So personally, but I really just tried not to follow it. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess uh, my take on it is is just that it's very interesting that there are, uh, uh, not the technical side of it, but the political side of it is that there's limits to the power there. Uh, I mean, that, that whole Jedi contract seemed like it was um, very much uh, outside of a normal RFP process. Um, a lot of criteria were being uh, used, uh, not in the formal RFP and for a lot of political reasons that, um, that got uh, Amazon excluded uh, and then ended up with, with Microsoft. But it was interesting to see that, that Oracle could not uh, um, manage to get it to go their way um, despite their uh, political connectedness, but that's that's different than I, I think another topic that we might be touching on uh, <laughs> next. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. I, I think I think my take from it is actually um, obviously I, I'm not a U.S. citizen, so it doesn't really directly affect me. But it has to be the case that I mean the Department of Defense don't have their technology stack, do they? Two years down the line, three years down the line from going out to tender for this, they don't have the technology that they were expecting to buy now. So. And that's clearly affecting the ability, being in, being in the Department of Defense, that's clearly affecting the ability of the country to defend itself. Um, no one seems to call that out and, and yell at Microsoft and AWS and, and so on for, um, for, the, for potentially endangering people. Um, but um, yes, I mean, I mean, next, I mean, it, it, not least, um, so, so, so Jedi seems probably to be done and dusted and, and, and they've lost and it's going to Microsoft and that's, that's all kind of baked. But hot off the press uh we have um global trade agreements trade wars whatever you like to call it resulting in tiktok um being purchased or at least forming an agreement with walmart and oracle this has to be the strangest set of bedfellows (laughs) i've ever encountered this side of a late 60s kind of californian kind of commune or something it's um uh what's going on here uh, I'll take a first crack at that one, but uh, you, there could have been some news that came down this morning that changes everything. But I like to start all the way back in June 21st when a community of K-pop stars used TikTok in order to uh, uh, prank Trump so that his uh, Tulsa rally was a disaster. He threw a hissy fit. It was within two months that he's issuing executive orders about, well, it turns out TikTok is a grave American threat, issuing personal ultimatums for its sale. And then in come uh, Oracle, which had been doing multiple deals with the Trump administration, including back when Larry Ellison hosted a Trump fundraiser on February 19th of this year, the same day that the Justice Department issued something to the Supreme Court saying, don't take on the, the Oracle v. Google matter. So then flash forward from there, Oracle is working with Larry Ellison in order to put out a database to track the uh, use of hydrochloroquine. Don't even know what happened to that. Next thing we know, Oracle is going to beat out Microsoft for the sale. Next thing we know, it's not a sale. It is going to be a spinoff, a new company of which is still 80% owned by ByteDance. TikTok Global then is going to uh, spin off and have 12.5% to Oracle, 7.5% to uh, Walmart for that control. Larry Ellison and Oracle then get control over a lot of cloud databases and a lot of cloud infrastructure that they didn't have before, which is a massive big deal. And I think this is kind of another one of their ways to leapfrog ahead in the cloud war. And finally, we talked about those strange bedfellows, and I know I'm getting a a million miles a minute here, but there's so much here. 
Oracle and Walmart are two of the three founders of the Free and Fair Markets Initiative, which is one of four right-wing uh, watchdog, quote-unquote, watchdog organizations that Oracle's been funding now for the last several years. So Oracle and Walmart have been bedfellows for a long time in advancing these kind of right-wing causes and pseudo-advocacy organizations. It's hard for me not to think that those two blend together when they both popped up again under the, the, uh, the, the, the right-wing organization of Trump when he was deciding both what to do and who to do it with. Uh-huh. Interesting. Yeah, I, I wasn't aware of that. Um, that's something to dig into in a bit more detail. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, it's. Um, I mean, for me as a as a watcher of global history and so on, it's quite extraordinary that you have it at this level where you effectively, um, you know, a, a government is deciding to change. Uh, well, affect free speech directly by um, by by acquiring a foreign company by preventing it from trading. I, it's um, I, I mean, I, I guess there are some parallels to a certain extent around export restrictions around in- encryption that are obviously were around for a long time and are still there. And obviously, of course, things like you can't sell to North Korea and Iraq and so on. So, but this seems another step because this is this, this is about that, those are all about governments. This is about a private company. Um, so it feels well, it feels it, quite it, different. And I think it goes back to what we were saying earlier regarding uh, the litigious quality of uh, Oracle. And then I um, uh, amplified that by saying not just litigious, but shrewdly so. Um, When Trump was uh, 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 elected back in 2016, you have in Northern California for the uninitiated, uh, uh, it's a very liberal part of, of America. Uh, including uh, the Valley. So Trump's elected and, and um, the uh, liberal masses here, including the business leaders, were inside out, uh, upset what's going to happen, you know, social media lit up over it and all that other good stuff. And while that's going on, uh, Larry Ellison and the CEO, uh, his CEO, are part of the transition team for Trump. Mm, yeah. um, you know, I don't know anything about Larry Ellison's politics, uh, but... Uh, he sure as heck didn't have any problem um, uh, dealing with the new president because he's a pretty practical guy. Well, we're going to probably have Trump for the next four years and uh, maybe something good can come from it for Oracle. And uh, as we know now with TikTok, yep, looks like something good is going to come uh, from it for Oracle. And uh, Oracle is going to be expanding in the cloud space in a manner that uh, uh, prior to this partnership, I think would have been impossible. So once again, and, and kind of looping back to uh, our, our uh, protagonist here in this discussion, that being Oracle, um, they're very good at what they do. Uh, very good, uh, whether it's uh, making software, uh, uh, litigating, or, or playing politics, and they are a force to be reckoned with. And uh, uh, you level the playing field uh, by not being outraged at what they're doing and showing you know, that you have a a higher sense of morality or ethics, that, that's just irrelevant. Uh, you, you deal with them on the basis that they come to the bargaining table. Uh, and uh, I, I, I frankly, uh, notwithstanding whatever your politics may be, once again, a very shrewd move by Oracle. They ha- have good relations with this administration in a form and a fashion that certain technology companies here in the Valley, such as Google, do not. Yeah, it, it takes me back to the turn of the 20th century where there were concerns around the big um, cartels and, and, and trusts around Rockefeller and Carnegie and so on and, and the steps that were taken to to kind of reform those. And I wonder if we're heading that way with big tech as well because all the technology companies that are well-known have, to, certain, to a certain extent, a political position. Apple come across as being very libertarian, uh, very liberal, I should say, um, all about privacy, all about encryption and so on. Facebook, something else entirely. We, we've already been through a Facebook um, cycle of elections and so on with Cambridge Analytica. Um, all these big tech, tech companies, it's not just about the technology anymore, that, that they have an impact on world politics and indeed potentially world history. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and that was the case very much as well way back um, late 1800s, early 1900s, um, with the oil companies and steel and rail and, and, and so on. And, and action was taken in. So I wonder whether that's what we're going to see in the 2020s, um, some kind of trust um, 
legislation around big tech. I mean, we certainly see it in Europe. Um, European Commission has for a number of years, um, you know, uh, taken on certainly Microsoft, for example, if you think back to the browser wars from however long ago that was um, around Internet Explorer and, and, and being bundled in Windows. So um, watch this space, I think. I think I think there's more to come on this and a lot of it will, will depend on what happens in November um, uh, in the US. Well, so I think it's it's overdue. I do think that we need to look at doing some breakups. The problem is with all the money in American politics and the super funds, uh, they're backing both sides. I mean, Oracle politics is really easy. Larry's politics are easy, making money. <laughs> yeah. So I suspect he backed both sides, didn't matter who really won, and now is leveraging the heck out of it, which is very shrewd. But with all the money in our politics, I, I'm sad to say I'm, I'm not hopeful, but I really do wish some breakups would happen. And I think the country would be better off for it. Google and four pieces would be probably more successful. And uh, But right now they're using their size. Amazon's a perfect example, using its size to its advantage uh, and is dominating. And Walmart is so terrified of Amazon, right, that they think TikTok's going to be their savior because somehow that's going to give them legitimacy <laughs> on online shopping. Please give it a break. With all the money of Walmart, I don't get why they don't just create Walmart Prime and go toe-to-toe -to -toe with them and, mm. and take some losses till they built up the business like Amazon did. Yeah. I, I, you know, it, it, on, online retail is a loss-making business effectively, isn't it? It's, you know, very, very tight margins, but that's what that's Walmart's game. So, they should have been able to do that. They, they obviously missed the boat. Um, um, we, we have a world-leading technology in in that um, in that space over in the UK um, in Ocado, actually. Um, who I th I forget the American supermarket chain that they support as well. But you know, we, we, we've been around for 10, 15 years on on, on that level of um, integration, particularly for particularly for groceries. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I. I Amazon are a utility in the same way as AT&T were to, to me. So yes. we, we split up AT&T and what, what was that? The eighties, wasn't it? Um, we, we had all the baby bells. Um, so that's, that seems logical to me. How would you split up AWS? Would, would you split off storage from compute from database, something like that? Um, uh, we, I guess it's watch this space. It, who knew that software would end up being a political issue? And uh, clearly it is. Um, I'm conscious of time. Um, thank you, everyone. I think we've gone a long way with this podcast, actually. We started off with just some basic stuff about Oracle contracts, and we've ended up talking about the 1900s and Carnegie and so on. So um, <laughs> thank you, everyone. Um, thank you for your time. Uh, it's really enjoyable. Um, we must do one of these again somewhere. Um, because let's face it, we're not going to be short of news about Oracle um, for the foreseeable future. So watch this space. Um, Thank you, and uh, we'll all speak soon. Thank, Thank you, you. It's great being here. Bye-bye now.